0: Well, happy Easter to all of you. It's good to be together and worship this morning. And I don't know if anyone was up when I was up this morning, uh, but about four thirty, five 5 o'clock, the moon was spectacular. And uh, I was just reminded of this. I almost needed my sunglasses coming into work this morning because the moon was so bright, which is unusual. Um, but it just made me think about it. I'm glad that Josh read this from Isaiah this morning as we started the service, that the world had dwelt in darkness up until the time of Messiah, spiritually speaking. And as I was looking at this moon, and then you turn around and you look and you see the eastern sky begin to get a little bit light, and you know what's coming, and there is coming a far surpassing light, and this is what has happened spiritually. This is why we're here this morning, is because the darkness that existed in the world has been overcome By Jesus Christ and through the virtue of his resurrection, we do not serve a dead God. We serve a God who's alive. And that is the hope that we have. And I want you to leave here today knowing that. I want you to leave knowing that Jesus Christ is not just some historical figure that people believe in as they believe in other mythological realities. He is God Almighty and has sacrificed himself for you. It's the greatest news that you could hear, and I'm excited to look at this with you this morning. This is the greatest morning that there is because of the hope that we have from it. This morning, we can say, He is risen, He is risen indeed, but more than say that, we can know it. This is the thing about Christianity that no other religion can offer you is confidence. 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 Because of the indwelling of God's spirit. If you don't know that confidence, I hope you leave here knowing it today. Because there is hope beyond just this vague sense of, man, I hope things work out. There is hope that you can hang on to. You can build your life on it. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus so completely satisfied the law of God. He paid for everything that had to be paid for. There was no reason for him to stay dead and so God in his unbelievable display of power raises Christ from the dead. He ascends to the right hand of the Father as we're gonna see today and now we receive everything from his hand. This is amazing and it is worth celebrating together this morning. So what I want to do is I want to just remind you about the darkness of Friday. Some of us were together for the Good Friday service down at Northwest. And that time is intentionally supposed to be dark. It is intentionally supposed to feel awkward, in a sense. But that time is pushing us towards Sunday. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to give you three present realities, three effects of the resurrection that you can hang on to right now, today, Maybe we kind of look back and we say, okay, well, yeah, this is I know Jesus rose from the dead and we affirm this, but what does it mean for you right now? It's not just something to talk about. It's something to believe in and something to live by. So I want to give you three effects. We're going to look at a few different texts for that. But before we start, let's pray together and ask that the Lord would be our helper. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I come to you as a sinner who has so often transgressed your law, I have ignored the good boundaries that you have put around me. And on my own, I would have absolutely no hope of ever being uh, pleasing in your sight, or even caring that I would be pleasing in your sight. And if it were not for the work of the Spirit, which is made possible by Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection... I'd be lost. So would everybody here. And so this morning, we do not only look back on a historical event we call the resurrection, but we look forward in hope, knowing that because Christ did not stay dead, but was raised to life, that we too can live. So we thank you for this plan of redemption, Father. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit, and thank you for your people. And I pray that as we come now this morning, that you would open our understanding, that we would see the truth in the scriptures, and that we would praise you for what we see there. Come, Lord, and do this work, we pray, in the name of Jesus, amen, amen. Well, before we get into our texts for the morning, I want to remind us of something. I think what happens a lot of times, especially in churches and maybe in Christian circles, if that's where you run, we often talk about things we, we speak the terms, but it's easy to forget the reality that those terms are talking about, and I think sometimes this happens when we talk about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. you know we all of us would probably agree, maybe most of us might agree that yep, Jesus rose from the dead, this is a part of our faith, we might even see it as something foundational, but When you look back at the early church, you read the book of Acts, for example. The apostles and the disciples were not being persecuted for proclaiming that Jesus was a good teacher. They weren't being martyred because they taught that Jesus died on the cross. Those things were evident. Everybody knew that. The affirmation, the the statement that got them thrown in prison, thrown to lions, beheaded, burned, boiled, everything else, was the proclamation that Jesus was God, which is proclaimed through the teaching of the resurrection. Rome and the Jewish leaders didn't fear a dead Messiah. There'd been hundreds of dead Messiahs in the years preceding Jesus. They feared a living God who had the power through his spirit, to motivate his people to take this gospel and spread it to the ends of the earth. That would topple the kingdoms of men and they wouldn't have it. It was the teaching of the resurrection, the fact that Jesus was not just a man, but was the son of God, that's what got them in trouble. It wasn't just they got together over coffee and were like, yeah, Jesus rose from the dead, yeah, wasn't that great, remember that? No. This got them killed. That's why I say this is serious. This is critical for us to understand. This is not just the icing on the cake of your faith. This is the foundation of your faith. If Christ is not raised, then we'll go home right now. There is nothing left to do. But he has been raised. Which means there is something to do. <laughs> so I want to share this with you. I want to give you these three things. And I don't mean to make this sound exhaustive. There are hundreds of of effects of the resurrection, but I tried to think of things that would be encouraging for you this morning. So I'll give you three present effects of the resurrection. First, we're gonna to go to Ephesians chapter one. So if you turn there in your Bibles, Ephesians chapter one, and I'm saying that because of the resurrection, we see more clearly the power of God. We see more clearly the power of God. Ephesians chapter one starting in verse 15. This is Paul speaking, and he says this, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, That Paul is talking about here, that was displayed in the resurrection of Jesus, is only available through the Spirit, which is why Paul prays this way in Ephesians chapter 1. In this text, Paul prays that the believers, and we can put ourselves, if you are in Christ, you can put yourselves with them, he prays that they would know three things. Do you see this? That they would know the hope to which they've been called that they would know the riches of God's glorious inheritance, and then third, that they would know the greatness of God's power towards or for those who believe in Jesus. And of all the things Paul could have referred back to as a demonstration of God's power, he picks the resurrection of Christ from the dead. He could have gone back to creation, He could have gone back to the Exodus. He could have gone to any number of God's works. But he chooses the resurrection, probably for a couple reasons. One, he's trying to encourage this early church, this this kind of immature church, in a sense, of the basic truths of the gospel, including the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. But I think there's another purpose. The reason that Paul wants them and us To understand this display of God's power is so that they would in turn praise God for this work of redemption. The pattern in the scripture is that we see the work of God, whether that be in nature or creation or redemption or whatever, and the response that we should have is praise and worship. I mean, that's why we're here this morning, is it not? Because we have seen the work of God. Maybe you've been a recipient of the work of God. And we gather together, not just out of habit or ritual, but because we want to give praise back to God. And I get this from the Psalms. You don't have to turn here. You can listen. This is Psalm 92, starting verse 1. The psalmist said, It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. How great are your works, O God. Raising Jesus from the dead, it arguably the greatest demonstration of God's power and the greatest significance for us. So Paul says, I want this church, I want every believer to know that the same power That caused Jesus Christ to come up out of the grave is in you. That's what Paul means when he says the power that is at work within those who believe. That's you if you are in Christ. And because of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, we see more clearly the power of God. And we ought to praise him for that. Second thing. Because of the resurrection, we receive the present ministry of Christ. And here we're going to go to Romans chapter 8. We receive the present ministry of Christ. What's Jesus doing right now? Right now, what's he doing? Read this with me. Romans 8, I'm going to start in verse 31. You didn't think I could preach Easter and not go to Romans 8, did you? It won't happen. Romans chapter 8, starting verse 31. Paul says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. That's Good Friday, by the way. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Now, listen to this. Christ is the one who died, more than that, who was raised who is seated at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. What's Jesus doing right now? We know what he did in the past. We know what he's promised to do in the future. What's he doing right now? He's praying for you and for your faith. That's what interceding means. He is praying for your faith to strengthen you we sing about this when we sing the songs we sing a song called arise my soul arise maybe you know this it goes he ever lives above for me to intercede his all-redeeming love his precious blood to plead his blood atoned for every race and sprinkles now the throne of grace Jesus is praying for you to strengthen your faith that you would not fail but that you would stand. Now the order of events, look at Romans 8 verse 34 again. The order of events is very significant. 8.34, Jesus died, he rose, he ascended and was seated at the right hand of the Father. You can read about that in Acts chapter 1. And he is interceding for us. You cannot skip even one of those pieces and still end up with this present ministry of Jesus. You remove one of those things and it's over. Jesus had to come and die or else he would not have been raised. He had to be raised in a glorified body so that he can ascend to the Father, be seated at the right hand in fulfillment of prophecy, in a stamp of approval, by the Father, and because He is there seated, He can intercede for you. And if He does not intercede for you, you fail. Your faith is not this conjuring of your own will, faith is a gift. And if the risen Christ stops for one second interceding for you, our faith will fail. I'm not making this up. We get a glimpse of this in Luke chapter 22. Jesus has this exchange with Peter. He's on his way to the cross and we get a little bit of foretaste, I think, of what's going on. Listen to Luke chapter 22. I'm going to start in verse 31. Jesus says, Simon, Simon, Peter, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. What's he talking about? It's Peter's faith. It's Peter's trust in God. It's Peter's apprehension of spiritual things. And Satan goes, I'm going to crush that out of Peter, be nothing left. What does Jesus say? Verse 32 I've prayed for you, Peter, that your faith would not fail. Jesus praise for you that your faith would not fail, that you would not succumb to the accusations and the temptations and the wanderings that we are so prone to. Without this present ministry of intercession, we cease to exist. Jesus is the author, that means initiator, and finisher of faith. How does he bring us from inception to the end? By praying for us. By preserving us. By interceding for you. I mean, what do you do when the accusation comes? What do you do when your faith is so weak you don't even know what to do? You don't know what the right decision is to make. What do you hang on to? Your own ability? Blah, gross. You don't have any ability, spiritually speaking. Neither do I. What Christ does. And he prays for you in that moment. And then we remind ourselves of this fact by reading the word and singing songs like, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end for all of our sin. What do you see when you look up? You see the crucified, risen, ascended, interceding Savior who not only paid the price to wash you clean from sin but is right now in this moment praying for you that your faith would stand and that it would not fall therefore because of the resurrection we receive the present ministry of Jesus and I, I hope that lands on you with weight This is so important. Third and lastly, because of the resurrection, we can have hope for eternal life. We can have hope for eternal life. And here we go to the quintessential resurrection test, 1 Corinthians 15. It's the book to the left here. 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 12. Now track along, I'll I'll read slowly so we can get this. Paul is developing an argument but it's important that we see the whole thing 1st Corinthians 15 starting in verse 12 now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead but if there is no resurrection of the dead then not even Christ has been raised and if Christ has not been raised then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ. Here's the teaching that got them all in trouble, okay? That testimony about Jesus. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still dead in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of most people to be pitied. Verse 20. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, this is referring to Adam, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. That's referring to Christ. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Paul is pointing out the illogical teaching that had crept into the church of Corinth with some people saying, okay, Christianity is fine, whatever. You want to follow this kind of thing? Do whatever you want. There's no resurrection from the dead. And Paul says, are you kidding? If there's no resurrection, this is all pointless. You see, you track with him through this in this argument, he says that's, that's crazy. and in, in Paul's mind, there is no Christianity without the resurrection. You say the same? Does the resurrection of Christ hold a position of prominence in your mind as a believer? It did in Paul's mind. To the point that when people started going around saying, I don't think that's true, he says, you're not going to talk like that in the church. Christ has been raised from the dead. And here's what it means. If Christ is not raised from the dead, then those who have died in Christ, Paul says, that's hopeless, they're lost, they're gone. And if this life is all we have, if if there's no hope for the future, then we might as well eat, drink, do whatever you want, act however you want, it doesn't matter, this is all there is. It's foolishness. This is is how most of the world lives. No thought of the future. No thought of spiritual reality. Just do whatever. Whatever I can see, taste, touch, smell, that's reality. Don't tell me there's another reality I can't see. It's so sad. This is so inadequate. There's nothing satisfying here. You can chase whatever passion, whatever desire, whatever selfish thing that you can dream of and it will leave you empty. Only Christ satisfies, truly. You might be happy for a while. You're gonna end up in the same spot. And Paul's saying, if there's no hope beyond this life, then yeah, I get it, do whatever you want. But not in the church. We have hope because of Christ that there is a future There is a resurrection when he says in verse 20 that we have been, we follow after Christ and he calls him the first fruits. I'll just read verse 20 again. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. When he says first fruits, what he means is that if Jesus has been raised from the dead, he serves as the, what word could we use? Forerunner, example, the one who has gone before. This is why it's really significant when the Bible talks about us being brothers with Christ. It's not just that he's the boss over us. It's that we are united to him and we, he now, is not ashamed to call us brothers. And so therefore, by virtue of union with Christ, being united to him by faith, Whatever happens to Jesus happens to us. That's a basic definition of union with Christ. What happens to Christ happens to you. Therefore, if Christ has been raised from the dead, then you too will be raised from the dead. That is hope. That is hope beyond what you can see, taste, touch, smell. Part of the reason we come to the Lord's table every Sunday at Grace is we want to build a sense of anticipation for the future. We taste this bread and we drink this cup and you should be saying to yourself, this is nothing compared to what's coming. And you can only have hope in what's coming if Jesus has been raised from the dead, friends. And he has been. Now maybe you hear this and you say, "Okay, well, for you, you know, religious people, and you're all in church and you believe this stuff, that's fine." But I'm, I'm, I'm a sinner. That's that's who I am. I don't, I don't, I don't cotton to that kind of language. It's not for me. Yeah, it is. Yes, it is. Jesus says He won't cast out anyone that comes to Him. In fact, here Paul deals with this. You you don't have an argument. If that's you, because Paul dealt with this. The end of this passage, Paul writes what I believe to be the most life-giving, uh, confidence-restoring, hope-producing words in all of Scripture. I know that's a bold claim, and I don't mean to minimize anything else in the Word, but these, this sentence also happens to be the text of my favorite movement from Handel's Messiah, and it goes like this. Since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so even in Christ shall all be made alive. Do you know what he's saying there? All of us, the Bible's really clear on this, and we know this experientially. Every person is born into sin. The condemnation that we will face for our sin, every one of us, is not just because of the things we do, it's because of who we are. And we are sinful because of our connection to Adam. Adam is the representative head of humanity. And what Paul is saying is that everyone connected to that head is guilty. Death comes through sin. But he also says that everyone connected to Jesus as the representative head of the new humanity will live because of his life. The bad news is that sin has permeated and affected everything. All you have to do is look about five feet around you. I don't mean everyone here. I just mean it metaphorically. Don't push that. Sin is everywhere. It has wrecked everything. From relationships, health, societal structure, governments, everything. And as human beings, we are on the hook to pay for that sin. Unless... Unless there is another head that we can be united to. Unless there is a way for death and sin to be defeated. Unless there is hope that because of the righteousness of one person, we might have victory over that. Then, that statement is not true anymore. See, what Jesus did on the cross was not just die so that you can be comfortable or fix your money, or fix your marriage, or whatever. Those things flow out of the gospel. They are not primary. Jesus died so that he can take his perfect obedience, which we call righteousness, and clothe your sinful nakedness. And in rising from the dead, after he has accomplished everything that the Father gave him to do, he gives hope. And Paul articulates this hope in this way. If you are united to Adam, you are dead in your sin. But if you are united to Christ, you are alive because of his righteousness. That's the hope of the future. Christ was raised, Paul says, incorruptible meaning he cannot be tarnished, he cannot be corrupted, he cannot be destroyed, he will never die again. And if you have faith in what he has done and the extension of grace to you, you will live forever with him. All of us are eternal beings. Every person in this room is going to live forever. You will either live forever in hell, justly paying the penalty for your sin, Or, you receive the gift of grace that is made possible through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you live eternally with Him. And that offer is extended to every person. So in the resurrection of Jesus, we see this display of God's power. We receive the present ministry of Jesus as he intercedes and prays for your faith. And because he was raised from the dead, friends, we have a hope. A hope of eternal life. That you don't have to pay the price for your sin because Jesus did. The only way to make that statement true for you is to turn from your sin. Ask God for forgiveness, and he will. He is faithful and just, First John tells us, to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from unrighteousness. And you can go from here having confidence that whenever your time comes, whether it's leaving this parking lot or in 20 years, you'll be with Christ because of his resurrection. That's some good news. And I hope that you take it to heart. Pray with me now as we come to the table. Father, as dark a day as Friday was, and as harsh a reality as we saw there as Jesus groaning and gasping and suffering on the cross is murdered for the sins of his people, I pray that we would look now on his resurrection in stark contrast to this. That the darkness of our sin and rebellion against you by the work of your Holy Spirit would be overshadowed by the joy of salvation and the clothing of righteousness and the promise of eternal life that you hold out to anyone who will believe. And we know that you are the one, through your Spirit, who gives us the ability to believe that you give us faith. It's by grace that we have been saved through faith. And this is not our own doing. It is a gift of God. And I pray that all of us would receive this gift. Take hold of it. And would you give us the confidence, Lord, that if Christ was raised from the dead, that we too will be raised to walk in newness of life. So come and do this work. It's a work that only you can do. So I pray that you would do it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.